A wrap of the Nepal Tri-Series, another associate coach gone, and an in-depth look at the European Cricket League draw. All that and more on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Thank you for joining us once again for the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Dan Beswick, and with me are the EC regulars. First, Copernicus Cricket on Twitter, Nick Skinner. Nick, how are you? Oh, feeling a bit like a drowned rat at the moment after a few days of torrential rain, and uh, my car's sprung a leak somehow, so the floor's basically a swamp at the moment, Oof. which is not very pleasant. Um, Goodness but me. Thankfully, no water's come into the house, so that's that's nice. Well, you beat me there, Nicholas. We had to have the electrician come in and fix up something with the safety switch uh, switched uh, off no. after a bit of water got into our house somewhere, but all was resolved. Yeah, we had bushfires at the start of the summer and now we're getting a deluge of rain and it's not over, apparently. We're, we're supposed to be getting plenty more of it. Before I turn into Tim Bailey, I'll introduce our third member of the podcast, our favourite <laughs> left-arm orthodox spinner with no need to worry about the new no-ball adjudication system. Tim Cutler. Tim, how are you? Are you somehow insinuating that I chuck it? <laughs> no, I was just assuming that all, you know, spin bowls with common sense don't overstep. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah front foot. Yep. No, did, did you read the that. news this week, Tim? Indeed. I just had to, well, inform both of you that there's certain virus as a new name, because obviously you two don't read the papers. But yes, I did, Bez. Good to be here. Uh, just as wet up here in Brisbane, which is quite frustrating for teams like Thailand who are here prepping for the World Cup. But hopefully, well, it's one of those strange times, isn't it? Everybody's talking about how how welcome the rain is and the dams in Sydney I saw up by 20% from one week's worth of rain which is amazing but uh, not great for a certain world cricket event approaching. No it's come at the worst possible time and the preparation for the likes of Thailand and others have been hindered by that. We'll be looking at Thailand's preparation over the next week or two as they do gear up for their debut T20 Women's World Cup. I want to jump straight into the Cricket World Cup League 2 leg in Nepal which is just been run and done we'll start with the results and there was quite an interesting result as we record Oman defeated Nepal in the first match defending a total of just 197 at the TU ground all the matches were played at the TU ground Oman went back to back and beat the USA by six wickets in the final over Uh, Nepal defended 190 against the USA and then Oman managed to chase down Nepal's 249 on the next day and then in the last two matches Oman defeated the USA to go with a clean sweep and as we record tonight we've seen one of the more remarkable one day international results in quite some time. The USA bowled out for the equal lowest total in men's one day international history just 35 Nepal winning that match by 8 wickets it was also the shortest one day international match in history by overs bowled Uh, and just to give you some context in regards to the Cricket World Cup League 2 points table Oman now 4 points in front with 6 16 points, that's 8 wins after 10 matches. USA, 12 matches, 6 wins and 6 defeats. Scotland, 3rd. Namibia, 4th. UAE in 5th. And Nepal in their first match or their first tri-series of the tournament. So uh, a little behind, but they have managed to pick up two victories. Uh, PNG, the only team yet to taste victory. But we'll start with this series and perhaps the 35 to begin with because it has been quite a newsworthy 
uh, event that's come out of international cricket in the last week. And it's a combination of a lot of things. We know that the TU ground has seen a lot of traffic in the last week with the amount of cricket that's been played. Uh, but the overarching factor in all of this is the US really struggled uh, playing spin bowling and they were exposed with Sandeep Lamachane taking six for today. Uh, boys, where do you even begin with this? Because this is a, a debacle in, uh, in every sense of the word. Yeah, well, I mean, number one, they can't play spin. They just, they've struggled all tri-series here and, and this is just really laid bare. Sandeep had a blinder and Bari as well, bowled really well. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's fundamentally the issue is just the complete fragility against spin. But, you know, looking a bit deeper, you know, guys at the top like Xavier Marshall's been struggling for form. You know, they've, they've shuffled around a lot of the batsmen. You know, they, they experimented with Holland opening and they experimented with Jones opening, both of whom mm. have, have had a lot more success in the middle order. And so, you know, and, and, and we even had a, a quip from you know from coach Jimmy Pammont in one of the press conferences saying oh well we've decided to draw batsmen's names out of the hat and, and see how they go which to me indicates there's something not quite right you know maybe a bit of tension behind the scenes and this 20 minute recriminations at, after the match I don't think it's particularly helpful um, there's not a whole lot and coach is really going to be able to say that they wouldn't know already yeah so not happy campers and, and it's another example of you know they came into this I was certainly predicting the American to well <laughs> to do a lot better than they did you know they came into this after a pretty disappointing qualifying campaign for the world t20 you know they, they didn't even make it out of regional qualifying and and our good friend peter del penna had a lot to say about their performance on that tour as well and yeah there's a lot going on off the field as well so yeah american cricket maybe not in in the best state of mind at the moment and the, the thing is you look at their lineup they have a lot of good players but they're just playing the wrong guys maybe or not giving the right guys the ball you know Kareem Agour he played three out of the four matches and he bowled 14 overs which is just bizarre for your well premier spinner really and you you can say it's a spin friendly pitch and you know it was but you know you look at the Americans they shuffled through their spinners they took five spinners if you count Stephen Taylor but in their games against Oman they bowled 16 and 17 overs between three spinners so leaving almost half of their quota unused and between the two spinners in their first game against Nepal they only bowled four overs which is is kind of baffling really so i think there's a lot of uh, muddled thinking going on in strategically and this uh, 35 all out is it's, it's pretty bad but it's sort of it's just bringing it all to a head really you know it's it's something that's uh, perhaps been bubbling for a long time if you, if you look at where they're going and, and a lot of the shuffling around Gee, I thought uh, you guys are joking when uh, you, you put in the notes about drawing batters' names out of a hat. Um, I think Jimmy Pammont has given some great, honest responses in some of those press conferences, but this is a team at the highest level they've ever been. We know they've played in a Champions Trophy before, but let's put that to one side. The highest status they've ever been, it's... Well, we, we know from the press release that these players are getting paid from 90000 US dollars and down. That, you know, that's the top level um, contract. So they're the best paid associate cricketers in the world. Better than some full members. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, you look at the Zimbabwe's and Sri Lankas and whatnot, and, you know, you're probably you know, very right there, that you've got them pulling names out of a hat or, or even joking about it. I, I'm not, I want to yeah. hope that, that they were I, joking. I think it was facetious, yes. But a team that had seen they were quite settled and we were impressed about how they were finding ways. I think we spoke about it. They were just finding ways to win without any player in particular standing out. Yeah, Monarch Patel opening the batting did really well in Dubai. Aaron Jones did 
really well. He's not a fast scorer. He's definitely a slow starter and then just warms up, but he never really gets to sort of T20 pace. But he was a real rock there in the, the middle order. But then they decided to open with him and put Manek down to number four. And I think by the time that they changed that for their third and fourth games, they'd got like 35 runs between them or something along, along those lines. So if you're, you're chopping and changing your key people and you know they know better than us, they're there. Someone might be out of form, whatever. Likewise with the spinners. And I think they made a good point. It's all well and good having the spinners, but if they don't bowl well, you can't just bowl them for the sake of having them. But looking at the numbers of overs that they've bowled, as you said, Kareem Agor has been one of the leading bowlers over the past few months after he came on the scene in World Cricket League Division 2. And yeah, the guy bowled 14 overs in three one-day internationals. Um, he went, only went for four just over four and a half and over. It's not like he, he bled runs and wasn't able to build pressure from the other end. So I really don't know what is going on. No Ali Khan, um, because he's, he's choosing T20 franchise cricket over this format of the game and, and from America. But they've got enough good players, as you said. So there's real, well, real issues there. And you know, Okay, do you say this is a blip on the radar, a blip on the on the record, I should say, and they're really bad at playing spin and the, the wicket has deteriorated playing the six ODIs on the, on the same square I think we saw from the first game there wasn't a lot of pace in the wicket so what did Nepal and Oman do really use their spinners strategically exactly what USA didn't do they dropped their spinners when both the other two sides brought them in so big problems and it's going to be how they come back from this there's changing of personnel off the field Pamit is going off to get the IPL and they're in the the throes of hiring director of cricket and a a new head coach and then hopefully with that comes a stabilization really of culture around this team because I, I don't know whether it's the players the support staff or a combination that just seems to be a completely different American team out in the field than the one we saw win in a number of games in Dubai yeah to finish off on the American points before we look at the other two teams the USA tactics of, of trying to unravel the two other opposition by focusing on batting weaknesses from their opponents ended up backfiring and rather than trying to make the most of the conditions which were heavily conducive to spin bowling they tried to go all out with their with their pace attack and, and it backfired hugely uh, we saw Oman basically treat their bowling with contempt for, for most of this and we did talk about you know the traffic that did go on at the TU ground but Oman posted two really high totals in in this uh, try series they made 250 chasing down Nepal 249 and made 276 uh, against USA in the, in the penultimate match so it wasn't as if you know it was a minefield uh, the way that the USA carried on about their business uh, in their last match probably made it look a little bit worse than it was but you're right Tim there's a few things that just don't add up with this USA setup at the moment because you know they have and this is across both the men's and the women's teams we've seen at the end of matches they end up having these team meetings which go for 15-20 minutes and they impact uh, match presentations and other things and it just shows us there's not exactly a, a an awareness as to how all of this goes on. Uh, I'm not sure that the American team understand that there are press and, and media waiting to, to answer questions about, you know, their issues. You know, we saw in the in the press conferences, you know, had it not been for a few people pulling them aside and telling them that they need to be here to answer questions, I don't think they were going to be there at all. So it's just this new level of professionalism that the USA need to learn to get around before they do perform well on the field, because it looks like it's an off-field and an on-field issue as well. You know, there's no other team in world cricket that has the issues with, with these things like the Americans do. You know, we hear stories coming out from 
you know, a lot of the American setup, you know, don't really want to talk to media or they've banned people from interacting with their players. And it's just not the right way to go about things. And it's not exactly a way to get everyone on your side. And it kind of looks like it's them trying to make it a case of the world against the USA in cricket when it couldn't be any further from the truth, really. I mean, we'd love to see everyone flourish and playing their best cricket. And USA is no you know, no exception to that rule. It's just that the way that perhaps their their conduct on and off the field has, has shown, it's left people, you know, a little bit unhappy. But to move on to the two teams that had a little bit more success in this tri-series, and without reminding you guys of the predictions uh, from two podcasts ago, sorry about it. <laughs> Before we do talk about the glaring ability of, of the Oman team and then rocketing up to the top of the Cricket World Cup League 2 table. I do want to bring Nepal in because I think they learned a few lessons here in that Paris Kadka didn't have an all-time tournament and they found a few more individual performances to get wins in this in this series. We saw Kushal Mala break a world record with, you know, being the youngest player to score a one-day international men's 50. Uh, we saw Sandeep turn up in that last game, take six wickets. Sushan Bari had a, a breakout tournament. And you know it's a good day for Nepal when they win against an opposition like this and there's no complaints from anyone in Nepali circles about any of the Nepali players, but also perhaps, you know, the expat chat that we hear about from some of the other countries using so-called expat players. I'm sure sure both of you guys will get into that in a second and I'll probably add on to it as well but Nick this is probably an encouraging series for Nepal that they don't play a home leg for a little while now and they have to play overseas again but they did almost make uh, the TU Grand a fortress it was just a case of Oman perhaps being too strong. Yeah, Oman were definitely too good. I think that's a very good point. You know, when <laughs> going back to our predictions, I certainly thought if Nepal were to have much success, they'd need Paris to go big. And he was pretty anonymous, really. Didn't didn't do a whole lot with the bat or ball. So that's very encouraging for them. And obviously, the the unearthing of Kushal Mala is a, a great find for them. You know, some of those shots just swinging through the line, and and he just hits it so cleanly. I think he's a he's a fantastic talent going forward for them. And just looking at their you know middle order more broadly. Yeah, they've got guys like um, Bandari and Visaka scoring runs, and so so they're finding runs from somewhere, which is encouraging. And you know, the fact that they managed to put up two fifty against Oman is is also encouraging because you know, a lot of the time it's it's one guy or two guys kind of scraping a respectable total out of a collapse, whereas this was just a, a strong batting performance. So if they can carry that form going forward, they, they're going to be a lot more of a threat because, as we've seen, their, their bowling's quite handy. Um, just going back to that expat thing, I, I do wonder if the Americans, they're playing probably at least one too many fast bowlers, I would say, on, on in these conditions. And I do wonder how much of that is that point that we raised uh, in the past, that they're a bit uh, dazzled by the fact that they've got you know Cameron Stevenson and Rusty Tehran, who as Pamant pointed out, have IPL and, and Big Bash experience. And, and so they sort of a bit feel like they maybe have to play these guys because they have the, that you know full member experience rather than being a bit more pragmatic about the conditions. So I think that potentially is, is part of it. Um, just goes back to the, you know, the weight that uh, associate teams often put on full member experience. But yeah, full credit to Oman looking um, <laughs> Akibilias. I, I don't think I've seen a guy have a better performance in a tournament. He's uh, two centuries of 50 and he also took 10 wickets. So I can't imagine anyone playing better than that, really. There's something in the Momos in Nepal that Aki really likes, Tim. 
Yeah, um, I think I'd remarked to you guys before this series about how his numbers were looking. I think he was averaging 46 in one-day cricket, and his top score was 44, and he just kept scoring runs, and the consistency was there. He hadn't scored a 50 at that stage. He has now, and then he hadn't scored 100, and, and now he scored two in, in two innings. And getting a chance to watch uh, a lot of him bat uh, was a little bit difficult at times trying to get the official stream to work, and it was quite <laughs> humorous watching uh, every everyone illegally stream oh, yeah. um, the um, the official Counterport TV stream or even go on to other illegal streams and then restream it sometimes with their own own commentary. So oh, a yes. bit of, of comedy capers there trying to, to watch it. Anyway, be that as it may, um, Ilias just seemed to be very calm and collected at the crease the only criticism i could say if possible of a guy who scored 302 runs at uh, an average over 100 um <laughs> could could be that he just are you kumar sangakara's dad um well strike rate was just under 81 uh, and i thought that towards the back end of those innings when he was getting closer to 100 and i know that um uh, yeah. pdp did tweet as well he just seemed to to get a little stuck and i know they won those games by by quite a lot and a lot of these things get lost in the wash but if i was his batting coach i think there's room there for him to get even better just to be a little bit better at as strikes later in the game or at least turning the strike over a couple of times he seemed to get a little bit stuck on the crease on balls just outside the off stump that were just short of a length and he just didn't have much about it and, and i'm being really really picky here it was mm. really impressive and him with the the ball as well came into this very much a part-timer and he does have a bit of a part-timer action a little not as bad as a michael atherton uh, leg leg break <laughs> ball in the, uh, in the in the in the late 80s but something a little bit a little bit loose that you sort of think well geez you know the old wank word bingo there if it's a very repeatable action he doesn't seem to have one of those but he just kept pitching it and turning the ball past the bat and in this type of game when there's pressure from from the other end you know we saw Shane Warne when he came into one day cricket the people thinking a leggy wouldn't like him wouldn't make it but when you've got a great bowling attack around he, he just was a great foil for the for the rest of the the bowling attack you know um Zishan Maksud is now the leading wicket taker in the tournament and with his batting getting up there as well with him more or less tripling his uh, tally um, in Cricket World Cup League 2. It's great to see. But the point that we were talking about was Nepal. And yes, they, they found a way to, to eke out totals. Uh, they probably got lucky, is word in inverted commas here, um, against the USA, the, you know, they got bowled out. Uh, was I think for 190, and they were they were able to to, to defend it against a, a USA team that didn't get close to winning another game. Um, but it was good to see Bandari come out and be able to hold together that middle order. You mentioned Vasaka; he only played in that first game, and he got 55 at only. Uh, strike rate of 50 and I think he was going a little bit slow but it was in the in the sort of situation but it was good to see a bit of fight from then and uh, as we were saying to uh, to see a young player come on to uh, well, a future star Kushal Muller we're going to hear a lot more about him both with the bat hits the ball long and straight and dare I say he's probably the best attacking batter to come through the Napoli ranks perhaps since Kadka you know Dependra Singh Ari has that similar mold but he just keeps getting yeah. himself out and 
Mala, Mala K, as opposed to uh, Mala G, the captain, um, has found a way of getting over 50 and playing match-winning knocks and being able to hold together that lower order despite him needing to get on with it uh, with a plum. Um, whether he's 15 or whether he's 20 is irrelevant to the talent that he's shown. Um, and he bowls left-arm spin as well. So for me, that's a win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've won Cutler over there. But you, it's a good point you make, Tim, uh, talking and, and making the comparison to Dependra Singh Iree, it's never been an issue young Nepali players coming in and performing. They always seem to have done that. And, and Mal is just, you know, uh, adding to the list of guys like Rohit Pordell and, and Dependra Singh Iree. And I'm sure we're going to see it when Rick Gautam comes into the, the first 11. When they come into the team, they always seem to perform rather well. It's just about maintaining that form when, they, when they're in the senior system for a couple of years. And we've seen that sort of decline a little bit with with Dependra Singh Iree over the last 18 months and I think it comes back to this continued conversation we have in regards to high level senior level domestic cricket where they're coming from an under 19s national team in a national camp where they can all be together all train and play but then once they come into the senior team it's a little bit more difficult to to maintain that level of practice it, it, at least that's how it appears on the outside to, to sort of wrap up everything I think going back to Nepal I think the Nepali fans and even the Nepali team just have to continue to accept that a score of 200 with their bowling attack and on that TU ground where the wicket is so slow and the field doesn't really eke out as many runs as it would like, 200 is going to be a winnable total there probably eight times out of 10. So I wouldn't be too worried, you know, if, if they do get bowled out for around that 200 to 220 mark. It's not a case of them batting poorly. I'm sure a lot of the fans will look at other scores around the world and think, you know, why can't we be scoring 280, 300. It's just the match is just a product of the environment that it's being played in. It's not a case where you can put up a high total. And I know Oman came out and posted 270 odd in one of those games, but that was one of the, the more clinical performances we've seen at this level. And we might just, you know, finish up on that. But for Nepal, I think, you know, once they control everything in their own backyard, they don't need to worry about everything on the outside. I think once they do work out that if they can control everything that, that's in their own control, they'll they'll be a, a fantastic team. And just before I ask you guys, you know, in two and a bit years when we reach the end of this series, you know, who takes that third spot, assuming that Oman and Scotland take the first two, I think if Nepal don't worry about everything on the outside and they know that, you know, they've got the best part of 15 million Nepali boys and men um, you know, out of that, you could definitely find 11 capable cricketers to beat anyone at this level. It doesn't matter how many, you know, expats, whatnot, uh, are playing in other teams. And we've seen the USA actually struggle here, you know, with, with players coming in and out and the, and there's no continuity. You know, Oman have finally come together with an 11 or a 13-man squad that they've used for the last year or so, and it's paid dividends. But to bring it back to Cricket World Cup League 2, you know, we're two years away from the end, so there's a lot that will happen, but... Assuming Oman and Scotland take the first two spots, Nick, I'll start with you. Who do you think takes third? Because it looks like it's a race between Namibia and Nepal at this stage. The USA falling a little behind here, and I know that they're second now, but they've every other team in the competition has at least two games in hand over them. Uh, but you look at you know Namibia, UAE, Nepal, UAE with the sacking of Dougie Brown, which we'll talk about in a second. Who do you think takes that third spot? Well, yeah, it's it's getting very congested 
in that um, middle of the table there. I, I mean, I like Namibia. I, I think they, they do have the quality. And the thing with the Americans, and I was saying this a, a couple of podcasts ago, the Americans are sort of the new Oman with a, a lot of mm. you know, ro- rotating players and, and some very inconsistent performances. So you never know where they're going to end up. They could turn it around. And, you know, I, I, I was saying, you know, in the group chat, you know, how, Scotland must be kicking themselves that they lost to this American team based on, on the performances here. But, you know, in, in the games against Scotland, they were, they were quite good. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to say Namibia partly as the, the sentimental favourite. But, you know, I got it totally wrong with the, um, the predictions for this tri-series. So, who knows? Just a, a final note on, on Kushal Maller, actually. Do you guys reckon... I think there's a bit of a, a Cameron White about him when he's, he's hitting down in that arc sort of uh, mid-on to mid-off. I'd have to look again. It wasn't something that struck me straight away uh, when you said it, but yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I might have to go back and look at the tape. The uh, the Cantapore HD streams across the uh, the internet that are all over for people to see. I want. Can, sorry, can I just quickly bring this up? I'm fascinated by the advertising in Nepali television as well, and, and it's a, and it's a good. It, it, it's quite you know it's it's quirky. You know you get a, you get a bit of a laugh out of it. I just love that. Nepal has 8 out of 10 of the highest mountains in the world and the ice cream is the Scottish Ben Nevis which is the most Yeah, I was wondering if that is is that actually Scottish ice cream? Well, yeah, I'm I don't know, you've got all these amazing mountains in in Nepal and you decide to go with a Scottish hill. I for my, just I couldn't get my head around it. <laughs> it's all all about what you don't have, isn't it? That's when true. All the people would would ask all the Australians in London, what are you doing here? It's, you know, minus three degrees, sleeting. You've just slipped over on the pavement. You're bleeding. It's icy. And Speaking right from now, people are, uh, <laughs> Sounds very personal. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, I'm still, still trying to get over it. Yeah. I, I think after watching those ads, a few things came to mind. Coca Cola is everywhere. I think um, I've never seen that many Coke ads oh. within you know, five or 10 or 25 minutes. Um, I really want a buttery biscuit and I, I'm, I'm, I think the host broadcaster still has a little bit of work to do about coming back and not cutting off commentators mid-sentence or letting the commentators know when they're coming back from mm. advertising and not trying to sneak in another ad when the bowl is about to come back into bowl <laughs> and, and then sneak out five seconds later or three seconds and um, also um, Commonwealth Bank you might want to have a look oh, up yes. at uh, <laughs> uh, Siddhartha Bank in, in Nepal Paul, because they've stolen your <laughs> font, your logo, and your your brand identity it's colors. Exactly the same. <laughs> it, it's, everything's the same. Look, it doesn't have that same weird little diamond with the bottom uh, cut out. Yes. Um, but it's got everything that, in terms of the font and coloring, I, I found that humorous. We are not sponsored by any of these Nepali ads that have just crept into our podcast. Not, not <laughs> yet. Not, <laughs> not yet. Not, we're we're happy to be. But my my favorite ad was the um the. Did you guys see the wrapping construction equipment video? That was um, bizarre and interesting. Oh, I don't think I did. Yes, I did. I think I sat down with Mel to watch one of the games and I was just like, watch this, watch this one, watch this one. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, no, you, you've, you've got to, don't go away. Don't, like the ads is not the time to go off. And, uh, you know, it's not the bathroom. It's not making tea. It's like, no, this is the bit you actually need to see. 
That, that's why are they when angry? USA why, why are the why is the building equipment that they seem to be in a playground? Oh, then there was a really angry personal trainer boxer. Oh yes, yes. yes. <laughs> anyway, I think we've talked enough about this. Look, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm assuming you watch some of the streams, so you will get. Are we are we going to talk about Oman? You're already asking who's going to be in third place. Well, between Oman I, I and figured you just about covered Scotland. Oman with the Akebelius chat, but. Well, they, they had three of the top four bats in this uh, tri-series. Yes, and we've mentioned Bandari for Nepal. Ian Holland, um, shining light for the USA, batting at five. He was third top scorer, and he bowled well. He didn't take as many wickets as I'm sure he would have liked, but he held a, an end up nicely, just bowling sort of back-of-the-hand slow balls over and over. But getting past that, yeah, Akib Ilyas... Over 300 runs, Maksud 200. Mohamed Nadim scored 126 runs, was not dismissed with a high of 69 not out. You know, we were exchanging texts on this. When your opening batter, Kawa Ali, can bowl 10 overs of leg spin, Zishan Maksud is the leading wicket taker in Korea World Cup League 2. He bats in the top four. Yeah. And Mohamed Nadim comes in at number five, and he bowls 10 overs of a very, very handy medium he, pace. He's deceptively uh, quick, actually. He no, very, he's very slidey, yeah. Yeah, he I think, hurries uh, people up. Especially on these wickets where they're not expected to get much pace. He just very quick arm action at the end, gets it through nicely. I, look, when you've got a top five from which you've already got 30 overs from, it, it almost puts you a bit of a dilemma as to who you pick after that. Yeah. Know, well, they can pick who they want. They want to pick two extra spinners or a couple extra paces. I, I think they've got a, a great setup. You said they've had the, a similar squad now for about a year and it is really paying dividends. So I just wanted to finish on talking about them, that this the riches of all-rounders that they have and we haven't even mentioned Kali Muller uh, Bilal Khan probably one of the best quicks in, in associate cricket at the moment I'd love to see him in a higher level but that's another conversation for another day he took seven wickets at 20 and only just over four runs and over and you know who we haven't mentioned at all and as an indicator of how well Oman are going is Jatinder Singh yeah yeah he had a quiet series oh he, he didn't have a, a good series at all he scored fewer than, than 50 runs and he's not great on the Cricket World Cup League 2 charts but we know how good he was in the T20 World Cup qualifier so if you can have a player as strong as Jatinder Singh have a shocker of a tournament or series however you want to refer to this and Aman still win 4-4 four and four, it's great that there, there can be that pressure on him and competition for places behind him without the team being under too much pressure so look they're in a, they're in a great place and they're an exciting team to watch they're, yeah. they're a team of team of fighters aren't they like when Maksud came out in that first game when they lost I think it was at 6 for 40 or whatever it was against Nepal and they're able to, to muster the total that they were able to defend. Yeah, there was no giving up. He just comes out to bat. Is no fuss about Maksud. In the press conferences we saw in, in Namibia, he spoke very plainly about what he was trying to get from his players and backing their skills and what they're looking to get out of it. He bats in the top four. He's a leading wicket taker and seems to have the respect um, and everybody seems to know where he's going with his strategies and uh, they're an exciting team to watch. So yeah, they're now top of the table uh, 16 points so 4 points ahead of the USA their net run rate's gone from the negatives to the positives and don't forget their first series was in Aberdeen in very foreign conditions well, to what they'd be used to they've had that the series in Oman and their two games have been postponed from that series so potentially there's another two wins there if they're able to replay those games 
games and they've just had this series on, on the most subcontinental conditions you're probably going to get in the World Cup League 2 so they've been really really impressive and everyone who's been involved it should be pretty proud of this squad they've got together and you know there's still more 50 over cricket to come but coming into the World Cup they'll definitely be a team to watch uh, in the 20 over format yeah and just to wrap that up it shows that they're a very versatile team they can win in, in conditions like Nepal but they've got the quicks to produce good performances in Aberdeen and, and places like that as well so I, I think they're well rounded and, and probably odds on favourite to finish in a top spot at least in the top three I, I think I can't see them finishing outside of that one final topic is that you know in that next series that America play the USA play Scotland and UAE in Florida and uh, I think that Hamza Tahir will be licking his lips <laughs> because he, he would have loved what, what he saw from the USA batting lineup uh, after that series. Well, yeah, and, and we saw in the Namibia PNG USA Tri Series, you know, in Florida, um, Zhivago Hunewald and Bernard Scholz and even Piki Yarfrance all bowling very effective spin on that track, which is apparently quite conducive. So perhaps the Americans won't have too much respite even at home. Well, the other team in that trio is UAE, and some news that has come out of UAE today is that Dougie Brown has been sacked by the Emirates Cricket Board and replaced by Robin Singh. Of course, with that tri-series coming up uh paul radley from the national who was in nepal for the tri-series that's just been run and done reported on it and uh it's been met with quite a bit of criticism around the traps because he was you know not exactly dealt a great hand there especially last year when almost half of his team were, were missing after all the sinister activity in terms of fixing went down tim so perhaps a little bit harsh and, and robin singh comes in but you know anyone who is looking to get in touch and we know that umash patwal has just left nepal so Dougie Brown could well be getting a call from Nepal. You have to say he's a coach of of immense quality and he should find a job pretty soon, hopefully, because he definitely deserves one. Well, can he maybe him and Pubadu working together in Nepal? That'd be an ace team. Look, I have met Dougie um, a couple of times. Really honest, kind of forthright guy. His interviews during the World Cup qualifier were, well, the foresight he showed in talking about how some of these full member teams may go under the pressure of qualification matches when they've never been in these kind of sudden death games before was right on the money with the way that uh, Zimbabwe in the end went out of the competition by losing to UAE he had well I say had as far as I'm aware has great respect within the UAE cricketing community especially within the team he was there as a temporary coach if you remember when he first came in and then they um, did a full recruitment to to find a full-time coach and he was selected there as well there's been a lot of change there we know what happened with players and the fixing scandal there but at the same time they had the selection committee also disbanded so he's been the single selector as well you know they had a change in ceo well they don't have a ceo anymore david east uh, left just after the the falling down of the uae t20x so you know besides the appointment of a new security manager after everything happened with the fixing you know everything just seems to be going in the direction you don't want to see an associate team going and yes Robin Singh has a lot of experience with associate countries, but I wouldn't say there's been a lot of success there. You know, he's the fielding coach for Mumbai Indians and he's done a lot of bit part roles and now coming as director of cricket. Does that mean he's coach as well or is he going to bring in someone else? And it would be a, an interesting decision there after everything they've been through and they look like they're a really tight unit led by Ahmed Raza and 
Dougie Brown so well and, and clawing some wins from a team that has been gutted. You know, they're three from seven with a game in hand. It's just a ba- baffling decision, I think, unless there's more to it, but I highly doubt it. It just looks like they've gone for a change of mind here to bring in um, someone they know into a into a higher role. And it's, it's really disappointing because for everything the UAE has been through, I was really looking forward to seeing them potentially climb up this ladder with this young team of the Jonathan Fidgies and whatnot of the world that have come through the under age programs and for a country team that is so often branded as a team of mercenary expats when they've got these young guys coming through the junior systems to kind of stick a couple of fingers up to the world to say no these guys are UAE stock and then to see this happen I I just hope we don't see um, the style of play and the style of leadership within UAE get sort of fallen by the wayside. Yeah, very well said, Tim. I, I totally agree. Um, I think Dougie Brown's been one of the most impressive coaches, uh, certainly at associate level, over the last sort of year plus. Especially the way he, you know, rebuilt the side after the fixing stuff. And you know, it's it's a strange timing, if nothing else. You, you'd think if they're going for a, sort of a clean slate after the bans and whatnot, they might have changed coaches then. And it's just odd because Dougie Brown seemed to be the driving force behind the rebuilding process and and reviving the team and reuniting them after a shattering event like that where, you know, you find out so many of your your teammates are corrupt. That's a big thing for a team to get over. And to have a guy like Dougie Brown in the leadership was really important. And yeah, so it's very strange that they're sort of switching horses midstream almost in in this case. And I just want to look at the, you know, the appointment of Robin Singh. And obviously, you know, he's very experienced, as you alluded to, but I don't know if that's necessarily the right fit, especially for an associate team because you know he, he he does some work you know with the Mumbai Indians and he does some stuff with the CPL he's worked in Hong Kong in the past he's he's done some work uh, in the US as well with the ACE people there so he, he's sort of here and there and floating around the world doing this and that and whereas the situation in the UAE I think requires a, a full-time commitment and I, I just I'm questioning whether Robin Singh is is able to provide that as a you know director of cricket as you said whatever that means he's not going to be on the ground 24-7 like Dougie Brown is and I think that's more than anything, that's what they need is just some consistency in, in both in the coaching and more in the, the mentoring side or, you know, the pastoral care, as you've put it in the past, Tim, of the young guys coming through and, and having a good environment to play and to thrive. Yeah, it's a strange situation for Dougie and hopefully he gets picked up soon because he's definitely a coach who can do a job for someone and I'm sure he'll do a a great job wherever he goes. Let's move on and talk about the European Cricket League draw which was run last week. Now, we did go through the groups in our news bit at the end of last week's show but didn't really have a chance to talk about the groups in depth. So just to go through them again, Group A, Swarston Cricket Club of England, England making their debut FCA 04 United Stars Darmstadt of Germany, Lund Cricket Club in Sweden, Helsinki Cricket Club in Finland. In Group B, we see Forfarshire Cricket Club, HBS of the Netherlands, Cluj Cricket Club return, of course, with Pavel Florin. It was Pavel Florin's birthday on Thursday, so happy birthday to him. Moscow Foxes, uh, Russia's entrant. And in Group C, we have VOC Rotterdam, the carryover champions, Latina Cricket Club of Italy, Bjorvika of Norway, Austin Exiles of Belgium. In Group D, we see CIO. YMS Cricket Club, they're based in Belfast. Skanderborg Stingrays of Denmark, MCC Barcelona, and Dreux Cricket Club make their return. Uh, I was just wondering, boys, what your take of these were. One thing I did notice is with Scotland and the Netherlands having entrance both in Group B, that will be quite a competitive fight for top spot. Uh, But a couple of other storylines, we see Sweden and Finland going head-to-head in Group A. Uh, We also see VOC 
taking on Austin Exiles and the storyline from that is that Corey Rutgers playing for VOC is the head coach of the Belgian national team so that will be one that will be looked at in, in interest and, and then a Spain-France derby in Group D. Nick it, it's again another carnival of Champions League style cricket albeit in Spain again in an eight-day tournament extending from last year's three-day tournament. It's looking like an exciting prospect again but we have a few more storylines and, and more games. Yeah and this is one of the things we, we keep saying about it is just the way that they're building it with the the local rivalries and the local clubs and you know the the Sweden Finland and that's going to be great and would have been good if uh, you know Scannerball were in the um, one of the groups with Sweden as well because that's always a you know feisty encounter <laughs> Sweden and Denmark and this is the great strength of the ECL is is the fact that it's building on you know local clubs that have a history and you can create those storylines a, a lot better than say with a pop up T20 league and the, the manufactured rivalries so that's just a great strength of it and the fact that it is eight days now but it's still a very quick tournament so it'll go by really fast and and it won't outstay its welcome i think three days was good but it sort of left you wanting more didn't it yeah same thoughts as you guys on on those groupings having that second dutch team has really thrown up that um, strength factor in group b as you've spoken about um i quite liked the way that they pulled the the groups using the icc rankings of the countries the clubs are from yeah. to try and get a balance across the the sides and i and i know that the the country strength is not necessarily linked to the strength of the clubs but it seemed to work out quite well in the end and i think the cream should rise to the top look we might see an upset or two in some of the groups but again with the um ones and twos playing across you know there's some good opportunity there for some teams to sneak into second and, and maybe get through the quarterfinals but isn't it funny looking at a competition with four groups of four when was the last major tournament that had that was that is that the 2007 world cup what, what happened there again quite possibly yes uh, well the final left a lot to be desired in that no one could see it but apart from that we did manage to see a few upsets in in that tournament and hopefully this is in t10 cricket you know there's every chance that you have an innings like Narby's last year for drew where he made the hundred he could do that against a, a decent attack you know with, with 50 meter boundaries all the way around you know things like that going in the batsman's favor it, it might only take one good innings and, and and you take a game away from a more fancied opposition yeah it was good to see that the draw as well it wasn't too drawn out i think uh, some of the other T20 leagues oh, out yes. there you could take a leaf out of that book and yes I know they're only drawing well team bats out of uh, out of buckets and, and not auctioning off players yeah. but yeah it was just some good commentary Vinny was great and he had well researched you could tell he'd put a lot into that and look everything about the ECL has delivered what they said they would they've doubled in size into year two investors are coming on board um, it's going to be broadcast as wide as it was last year maybe more Hopefully in the next couple of years there'll be money coming in from those broadcasts rather than them going out for free once that proof of concept is out there. And then, you know, having, you know, the capital is there for the the event to run. They're not running around desperately trying to sell franchises or sponsorships to keep the event going. And it's not dependent on these things, which I think it makes a huge difference to the running of the, the event when the people in charge are able to concentrate on running a great event rather than desperately trying to get money in and or cutting budgets because there's not enough money coming in. And if they are cutting any corners, then I, I haven't seen any yet because the, the way it was broadcast last year, it's only going to be better this year. More teams, more games. Uh, I'm still holding back to see whether eight days is not too long. I know that you said it's still quite short. 
with that much T10 cricket back to back. Let's just wait and see and how it's taken. And you know, something like the Blitz that was in in five or six days with two games a day. To me, that was almost almost like a perfect length of an event to draw people in and and, and keep their interest. Um, just wait and see. But with this number of teams from this number of countries, you know, that's eight new markets that have come into the event. And and if it's well marketed in those countries and it's on all those channels, then, then who knows where this event can go into the future? And who knows? We may be looking back in a decade or so, having a bit of a chuckle to ourselves, or maybe also kicking ourselves that we didn't invest when we had the chance back when yeah, Pavel <laughs> Florin became a, an international uh, known cricketer uh, and before it turned into a, a sensation uh, throughout Europe and internationally for for cricket. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And, and as you said, Tim, you know, everything that Dan Wesson has promised to do, he has done. And he's playing the long game here. He, he's looking to, to inspire a generation of potential cricketers in, in 25 years' time and not necessarily looking for a, a get it done quickly. But I think down the line, you know, the, the, the time and money invested by everyone involved will make it a more than successful venture. And, and, and hopefully we'll all be here to, to see it unfold. Uh, finally, let's have a look at a series that's gone on in the Middle East, and it was Germany's women taking on Oman. There was 135 over match that they did lose Germany to Oman, but there were four T20 matches, and, and Germany were convincing winners uh, in all four of those T20 internationals. Did include a day-night match as well. For the Germans, it was a successful tour, traveling and playing international cricket and winning away from home, which is always difficult to do, Nick. Uh, overall, you have to say they'd be quite happy with how things went couldn't have really gone any better except winning that warm-up game but yeah you mentioned the day night game that's interesting and and you wouldn't be getting many of those as a you know an associate women's cricket team from Europe so I think that's uh that's very good that the Omanis were willing to you know spend the money to put the lights on for a day night game um Germany yeah just too good look at the batting the the top three run scorers are all German and only one of the Omani batters got past 50 total runs for the for the tournament so yeah lots to think about for the Omanis we've talked a bit about women's cricket and and how it's more bowling friendly and the difference that a quality bat can make. And this just goes to show if, if your top order is firing, it's going to put you in really good stead. The bowling, yeah, it was, it was a bit sloppy with extras. Looking at both sides, actually, you know, Oman bowled 26, 22, 19 and 26 and, and Germany bowled 10, 25, 29 and 23 across the four matches. And, you know, that was mostly in wides. And, and that's something we've seen with a lot of these, uh, well, especially women, but inexperienced men's associate teams as well. It's just something that um, you need to get used to playing... Um, at, at the top level, you know, it's a T20 international. And yeah, good to see this series happen. And yeah, just a shame that we weren't able to get any streaming. Not overly surprising though, after they didn't stream the last yeah. League uh. Two. Um, look, I get the feeling that Oman Cricket, they've got enough cash behind them. And I know that things don't really get done without people a long way up giving their sign off. And it's an interesting sort of system. But I almost get the feeling that they're like, well, we don't need to worry about the marketing side because we've got great facility and we've got players coming through winning games of cricket. We'll uh, spend our money elsewhere. But um, be that as it may, I think we have an early nominee for the photo of 2020 with the the two German batters embracing in the middle of the wicket it seems a bit like me and uh, my partner Mel sort of um, height difference with about a foot difference I think the uh, the taller batter's down on her knees hugging um, her batting partner just 
pure elation and it was posted along with on the same day a photo of the Napoli crowd you know as we expected packed into the TU ground and it's, as we talked about last week great to see this this series across regions which is very very rare in associate cricket but hopefully it won't be into the future with universal status having been well a boon for um, international cricket and the universal status gives people a little bit more uh, a better picture, and I say the word picture without referring to the actual pictures that we were talking about there, but it gives us a picture of, of just how universal the game can be when it when it wants to be and, and when things are done right. And, and to link it back to something like Oman, yeah, it seems like their in-house stuff is very much in order on and off the field, but from a marketing perspective, there's every chance that they can branch out and, and look to gain perhaps a sponsor or uh, a few key figures involved, you know, with the money that they have to, to promote, you know, the the country's cricket because there is a potential there that they could easily unlock and coming up to a T20 World Cup in in 2020 which they will be a part of here in Australia and I'm sure that they'll play a, a big part as they give it a shake um, we see a little bit more exposure for, for some of their players because I think it's their players that because they don't exactly get the same promotion as a lot of these other countries, I think we don't really hear a lot about the Zishan Maksuds, the Akibiliuses, and and then on the women's side, it's the same thing as well. So I think for them and them building their standing as international cricketers and cricketers looking to build their career either internationally or perhaps through franchise cricket, I think the exposure via social media and media and promotion of their game could only be beneficial for them. Finally, some news to wrap up today's show. The ongoing coronavirus outbreak has caused China to withdraw from the upcoming ATC Eastern Region T20 International Tournament. The tournament is part of Asia Cup qualification with the finalists from each region playing in the main qualifier. Thailand will still host the tournament, though pressure is mounting given other sports have cancelled competitions in the country. Carl Kurtzer has been presented with his MBA this week at Buckingham Palace. The Scottish opening batsman was named in the Queen's Birthday Honour List back in June for his services to cricket. Kurtzer is Scotland's all-time leading run scorer and made their first World Cup century against Bangladesh in 2015. And finally, Dutch captain Peter Saylor and partner Christina have celebrated the birth of their first child with Blake Harianto Saylor entering the world just before 1am on Saturday. To keep up with news from Cricket's New World, make sure to follow Emerging Cricket on your various social media platforms. Make sure to give us a five-star rating wherever you are listening to the podcast. For now, on behalf of Tim Cutler, Nick Skinner, and myself, Daniel Beswick, enjoy the rest of your day wherever you are around the cricketing world.